first, we start with soaring gas prices in Metro Vancouver, spiking again, the pain at the pump. Wow, getting worse on your wallet right now. Gas prices soaring over $2.30 a liter. Should the government step in and do something about it to give people a break at the pump? Or would that be a wrong move, especially with climate change causing so many problems? Remember what Greta Thunberg said. Here's what she told the UN. Have a listen. People are suffering. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction. And all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? Yeah, okay. So, you know, when people say, give me a break on my gas price, is that short-sighted with the planet on fire? All right, let's discuss it now. What a great panel we've got for you. Brad West, the mayor of Port Coquitlam, has been talking about this in social media the last couple of days, getting a lot of attention. Brad, thank you for coming on again. Thanks for having me, Mike. Also on the line, Professor Catherine Harrison from UBC. She specializes in environmental and climate change policy, and I'm very pleased to welcome her to the show. Professor Harrison, thank you for coming on today. It's my pleasure. Okay, guys, thank you to both of you. Brad West, let me go to you first. Checking out your Twitter feed right now, you're talking about soaring gas prices, and you say that this is causing a lot of pain for families. You call out some of the environmental activists here who actually would argue it's not high enough, maybe we should crank up carbon taxes even higher. Tell me your thoughts on this. It's getting a lot of attention. Well, yeah, Mike, I hear every day, and I feel it myself with my own family. Uh, this is putting an incredible stress on people's budgets. You know, it's not just the price of putting gas in your vehicle. It's how it connects and cascades to everything else. And so whether it's food or, or other things, uh, it's having a real negative impact right now in people's lives. And my point is that I understand that this is being caused by a number of different circumstances that are happening, including, I think, oil companies, gas companies taking advantage. But once, you know, and hopefully we get through this, we get returned to some normalcy, the, the point I'm making is that what we're experiencing right now uh, for some folks who advocate for certain policies is what they want to see permanently. In fact, they don't think it goes high enough. So you imagine what people are experiencing right now and the pain that that's inflicting, but even higher and for an extended period of time. And if you live like the majority of people in this region live and have things you got to do, places you got to be, kids you got to drop off, a job you got to get to, you are reliant upon your vehicle, uh, and that is yeah. just the, the reality of the situation. Okay. Uh, and so my point is, unless we want to create a two-tier society where if you're very rich, you don't care, you don't know this, it doesn't make an impact to you, and you can continue on driving, and everyone else uh, is screwed, then we got to figure this out. We do need the government to step in and <clears throat> provide relief to people. Okay. Okay, let me go to Catherine Harrison, Professor Harrison. Your thoughts? Do you do you think they should increase the carbon tax, make it make the price of gas even higher? Well, I think it's important first off to put this in context. What we're experiencing in terms of gas prices is a Putin tax, not the carbon tax. The carbon tax in British Columbia increased by one cent on April first. It's increased four cents per liter since 2018. So 
the pain people are feeling is not because of climate action. It's because of an illegal invasion of Ukraine by Russia. And I think what Canadians need to do is support the economic sanctions on Russia. Um, in terms of is this what people want, I don't, I don't know of anyone who is calling for immediately ending fossil fuel-powered vehicles. I think carbon taxes, we know that they work. The, the policy is to very slowly and gradually increase that price. At the same time, there are regulations coming in to phase out the sale of gasoline-powered vehicles. So the vehicles people will be buying will be electric or possibly biofuel-powered. Um, and I think the other thing to bear in mind in terms of low-income families, and I, I'm very concerned about the impact of gasoline prices on households that depend on gas-powered vehicles. I really wish the province had directed its funding to them rather than giving every vehicle owner a check that's in the mail. But climate change is an incredible injustice. We saw 600 British Columbians die, basically baked alone in their homes last summer in a heat wave. And that's just the beginning. It's going to get worse. Um, those folks were disproportionately low income or living in low income neighborhoods as well. So the climate crisis hasn't subsided. We need to figure both of these okay. things out. Okay, Brad West, what do you say to that? Well, what I didn't hear an answer to is how high does the price of gas need to be? And um, I respect what the professor said. I do think there are many advocates out there in the environmental movement who are saying that things are moving too slow, that it does need to be much more uh, rapid, and that there does need to be an immediate end uh, to fossil fuels. And the question I, I like to pose is, well, the whole point of the carbon tax is, in fact, to make gasoline uh, expensive to the point where people can no lo- will no longer uh, quote-unquote choose to drive and will seek other uh, forms of transportation. I mean, that's, that was the intent behind it. Uh, and so, you know, I understand that it's not the carbon tax right now that's causing this significant increase in, in the price of gasoline. But, the, the in, you know, for your person who's filling up your gas tank, whether it's being caused by uh, a carbon tax or it's being caused by uh, the reckless actions of Putin and, and, and corporate greed, whatever it is, it yeah. doesn't make a difference to the person who's putting, uh, pumping their vehicle full of gas and paying uh, you know, over $2.30 a liter. So if, if the point of the carbon tax isn't to make the price of gasoline so expensive that people aren't going to uh, no longer be able to drive, then what's, what is the point of it? Catherine Harrison, your thoughts. Yes, the point of carbon taxes is to increase the price of energy sources that cause climate change. Um, I think it is a red herring to use the occasion of increasing um, transportation fuel prices caused by the Russian invasion as a way to push back on climate policies. And we're seeing that in Canada and elsewhere. Um, I think it's misguided given that this isn't really about the carbon tax. Um, But it also, um, we're hearing Mayor West equate vehicles with gasoline-powered vehicles and transportation with driving a person vehicle, personal vehicle. Um, There are already analyses finding that electric vehicles are price competitive over the life of the vehicle now. Um, 
True, that's for smaller vehicles, not yet big and heavy trucks, but I think we'll need to go there with biofuels. Um, And we do need to move towards other forms of transportation, Um, active transportation like biking and walking and especially public transit, because we can't fix climate change by continuing to rely on fossil fuels, and we need to gradually phase those out. Okay, uh, Mayor Brad West, I'll give you a real brief response here, please. Thank you. Yeah, certainly people already are transitioning to electric vehicles, which, uh, by the way, are are not absolutely flawless when it comes to their carbon footprint, and people can do their own research on that. But I I really want to uh, get an answer is how high does the carbon tax need to be? How high uh, does the price of gasoline need to be? This is, uh, you know, there are people who are advocating for this policy, and I think they should be up front with with drivers and with the public to say, how high will it be? Catherine Harrison, a brief reply there, please. The federal government has an emissions reduction plan that meets Canada's 2030 target with the carbon tax gradually increasing to $170 per ton of CO2. That would be an increase of, um, let me think, 12, 24 cents per liter. So Canada has a plan to meet its Paris Agreement target, increasing the price of gas by 24 cents between 2023 and 2030. All right, welcome back as we continue talking gas prices. Phone lines are open 604-280-9898, star 9898 on your cell. Don in Vancouver. Hi, Don. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Go ahead. Okay, so, you know, I don't believe in uh, taking the money from our taxes. I don't, I don't think the government should uh, back down and lower our taxes just to pay for the gas prices. It's the manufacturers, the, the oil industry itself, that is gouging us. They yeah. refuse to put more, uh, uh, increase their gas production. And now, here the government is paying for all our services, our goods, I mean, like our schools and what have you. We need to continue to do that because, especially with CERB, or sorry, with the whole COVID incident, we, we have to pay that back. And uh, the manufacturers, I mean, the oil companies are the ones that are to blame here. Okay, Don, thank you for the call. Well, you know, Premier John Horgan would agree with you on that. He says, don't blame me. Blame these gas companies. They're the ones who are gouging you, not me. Ryan in Cloverdale. Hi, Ryan. What do you think? Hi. I think uh, during times that we have right now, um, we do need to give some type of relief to households financially as there's enough hardships going on. And if you look at how much uh, greenhouse gases are emitted by Canada as a country, not by per capita, but by country, it's minuscule to countries like China and the States. So what kind of difference are we really going to make by, you know, trying to cut down on gas usage right now with just the high gas prices? It doesn't Uh, doesn't make sense on the big picture. Ryan, thanks a lot. There's a a lot of pressure right now, especially on the Horgan government, to do something about it. But did you hear what he said the other day? He said, you know, maybe you should think twice before you drive. If, you know, if the gas prices are too high, maybe you just don't drive. Think about it. Maybe you just don't don't drive. That was his answer. Glenn in Maple Ridge. Hey, Glenn. Hey, Mike. Yeah, I am so wound up on so many things. Uh, first, and for, first and foremost, that mayor from Poco should be looking at bigger political aspirations because uh, uh, the more I hear him, the more I like him. I got, a, fe- I got a feeling he is. I, it's just a gut feeling, but I, I got a feeling maybe he's thinking about bigger things. Anyway, ca- carry on. Yeah, let's hope so. As far as your other guest, the professor from UBC, and she kept calling it, referring to the Putin tax. Well, before Putin invaded uh, uh, Russia, 
British Columbia, for, for example, still had the highest gas taxes in North America. Sure. And there's a lot of wiggle room there. Yes, the oil companies need to be somehow restrained, but uh, we still have the highest gas pack taxes. And we do. As far as Mr. Horgan goes to tell me how to live my life and how I got to get to work and how I got to do my running around and that I should... I should I should maybe hitchhike instead of uh, taking a car because that's basically what you find to find somebody passing by, isn't that? Yeah. I think I think maybe I think maybe we should tell the uh, the government that we're no longer going to pay for all these high tired uh, government employees. You're not going to get a gas allowance. You're not getting a car allowance. You too well, have to fill up at the tank. Hey, how do you think they're going to pay for their 789 million dollar museum that he just announced last week? Right? They need <laughs> oh, they need man. they need revenue. Glenn, thank you for the call. Yeah, I was kind of shocked at Horgan there the other day. Like maybe think twice before you drive or ask your neighbor for a lift. Wow. Yeah, he's really sympathizing with people there. Lauren and Gabriola Island. Hi. Hi. Hi, go ahead. Yes. Uh, this is uh, 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 the mayor The mayor uh, uh, speculating about the minds of environmentalists, or for that matter, oil executives wishing pain on people who have to pay for gasoline by wishing for higher prices. Uh I think that's a red herring. I agree with the professor uh, and irrelevant because if environmentalists and oil executives stopped wishing for higher prices, what effect would that have on the price of gas? Mm. So these are serious issues and we need to try and sort them out, not troll. And okay. Okay. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you for that. Glad you got through on that. Jeff and Coquitlam. Jeff, you got 30 seconds. Go ahead. Hey, Mike. Uh, yeah, the, the carbon tax, one thing I'd like to see reduced from it is y- our impact from Canadian source compared to, say, larger countries, India, China, where massive economies. We're having just a small little piece of that. And yeah. at the same time, provincially, we export all kinds of coal. So it's kind of like, well, isn't that right. kind of... Uh, and, and for Horgan, maybe he should think before he talks rather than telling us to think before we drive. All right, welcome back to the show. Let's talk about the surge of youth crime that we're seeing in BC right now. And this really put on the radar last week by the Vancouver Police Department when they reported a surge in youth violence. We're talking about youth assaults, property damage, swarmings, police investigating many, many files in Vancouver. Check this out now. In Victoria... Same thing happening. Now, police reporting that they are investigating 25 major incidents of recent examples of youth crime, youth mayhem in the downtown of the provincial capital. And you look down the list here of incidents. It's unbelievable. A group of 25 youths who reportedly attacked a 70-year-old man on downtown Douglas Street. Why? How does this happen? 25 youths beat up an old man? What is going on? 14 youths who swarmed a police officer. He was trying to arrest their friend. They swarmed the cop. Okay, check this one out. 150 youths. 150 marching up Government Street in downtown Victoria, stomping over the top of vehicles, kicking off rearview rear view mirrors on vehicles. According to the Victoria Police Department, I got the Victoria Police Chief standing by. Have a listen to this here first. This is Mario Shalini. He's the owner 
of the Tuscan Kitchen Culinary Food Store right in downtown Victoria. It's been there a long time. Check out this guy, his story of how someone came into a store and pepper sprayed him. Have a listen to this. Everything just burns and you can't get away from it. It's been more than two weeks, but the memory of the incident, much like the bear spray, Mario Scalini was hit with sticks. My reaction was, what the hell is going on? Scalini was at his store here in downtown Victoria when a group of youths came in and began fighting. But when they were asked to leave, the situation escalated. We've been in this location for 23 years and um, things have changed. All right, Mario Scalini there, owner of the downtown Tuscan Kitchen store. That was Kylie Stanton reporting for Global News. Let's discuss now with my guest, Del Manick, chief of the event, uh, Victoria Police Department. And I'm very pleased to welcome him back to the show. Chief Manick, thank you for coming on today. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Okay, what goes through your mind when you hear the voice of a citizen in Victoria, a longtime downtown business guy, just going about his daily business, and he gets, you know, kids come into his store and bear spray him? Well, it's highly concerning and it's disturbing, and and we should never uh, take this for granted and accept this type of uh, behavior. Um, and and as you kind of commented at the start of the segment, there uh, we're seeing a significant spike, uh, and we're pulling out. Uh, a number of resources and looking at this from a number of different strategies, working with school boards across the region. How do we educate parents? How do we educate youth? What is going on here? And how do we make our downtown safe and give youth an outlet? Uh, Something that is a little bit more productive that doesn't make other citizens uh, unsafe and, and the youth engaging in behavior that's extremely, extremely disturbing, violent, and unlawful. Speaking of Victoria Police Chief Del Manick, when I take down, take a look down the list of some of these incidents, I mean, some of these are barely believable here, like a 25 youth swarming and attacking a, an old man, a 70-year-old man in a downtown street. Like, why? why? Why is this happening? Yeah, well, these are the very questions that we're asking. Um, and it seems, well, one, through social media now, uh, it's much easier when... Uh, when people want to get together and and you know and they want to they want to have a good time and and they feel that well meet downtown. Uh, unfortunately, what's happening is they're showing up with weapons, bear spray, knives. Um, we have incidents where Vic PD is um, is breaking up fights between subgroups within the larger group of youth that are coming downtown. Uh, and then some of the examples that you you give, whether it's swarming. Uh, each other, or whether it's a 70-year-old male. Uh, we've had incidents where two uh, individuals that are street entrenched, that are unhoused, uh, were attacked uh, by a group of youth uh, who uh, started, you know, uh, punching and kicking this individual. Uh, this um, one of the individuals actually had a flashlight uh, that's unhoused and was able to strike one of the youth in the face. Uh, with a flashlight, and then when we responded, we found this youth that was extremely intoxicated, uh, that was suffering from facial injuries, uh, from um, you know getting getting hit with a flashlight after a number of him and his friends had uh, attacked this um, a couple people that were unhoused. But these situations are, uh-huh. uh, uh, yeah, it's it's really disturbing because uh, we had a couple uh, that were walking that were swarmed by a group of twenty youth downtown. They were Jeez. randomly picked out, attacked. Uh, one of the youth actually grabbed the victim by the throat and was striking her and continuing to beat and, and kick the, this, this individual. Um, and they were able to break free and flee. 
Um, and so this, again, this is unacceptable behavior. Uh, we're actually, we have a meeting this morning uh, with Youth Crown, and we're going to be uh, talking to Youth Crown because one of the things we're hearing from youth, of course, we're responding um, in, in higher levels of frequency, and we're engaging the youth. We're asking them, what's going on? Why are you here? What brings you here? And, uh, and we're hearing a number of comments from the youth themselves, which is they don't really feel there's any uh, health, there's any healthy outlets for them to gather and to kind of um, have, have a social environment. So what they do is they come downtown. Some have told us that their parents, their parents have given them bear spray to say, well, don't take a oh. knife downtown, but uh, here's some bear spray. Oh, by the way, uh, don't be doing drugs downtown, but here's some alcohol uh, because these are underage kids. Uh, you know, we're talking high school kids and middle school kids. Uh, and so the parents thinking that they're, they're helping their child out are actually equipping them with bear spray and with alcohol um, and sending them downtown, uh, which is actually part of the problem. So we need, what a, kind we of, need to really, yeah, it, it's, what, uh, we need to what kind of parent, them. what kind of parent thinks they're helping their kid by giving them booze and bear spray? What the That's hell? Funny. Wow. Well, do they think they're like giving their kid bear spray to, as a defense, you know, to protect themselves if they're attacked? Is that what's going through their mind? Well, I, I, I believe so. Um, I believe uh, that what they're saying is, you know, well, if you're going to go downtown, well, I want to make sure you're protected. But obviously what's happening is uh, when these kids are consuming, whether it's drugs or alcohol and they're intoxicated, uh, out comes the bear spray and it's being used against groups within this uh, larger groups and, uh, and, and also against random individuals uh, uh, downtown. So we're, we're not, we're, we're, we're taking a tough stand on this. Uh, there are consequences. This behavior is completely unacceptable in our community. It's unacceptable in any community. And uh, the Victoria Police are not going to just stand by and allow this to happen. And we're going to work with Crown Council. Uh, a number of the youth have also told us that they feel if they're tagging buildings and they're fighting, um, that they have every right to do that. And then there will be no consequences, even if the police do respond. Uh, that's th th That message uh, has to be made clear that there are consequences for people uh, and their behavior yeah. if they're going to engage in anything that's unlawful. Speaking of Victoria Police Chief Delmanic, when you say that there's going to be consequences, you are talking to the youth crown, like maybe some of these kids are right when they think there are no consequences. Like under the, what, like under the Young Offenders Act, do any of these kids get arrested? Do any of them get charged? Are you looking to elevate some of these crimes to like adult court? Well, I mean, there's a threshold uh, if you're going to be moving uh, youth crime to adult court, and, and there's certain criteria that has to be met for that. Uh, but short of that, though, we are actually laying charges. Uh, when somebody is randomly attacked, uh, there are consequences, whether it's uh, a physical assault or whether it's using bear spray or pepper spray or anything else that's happened. But uh, if we don't intervene and lay charges and send a strong message, a strong message uh, to these youth, that uh, they will be held accountable for their behavior. And the first thing we're doing is we want to prevent them from actually coming downtown, give them a healthy outlet. So what can the school board be doing? What role do parents play in this? And uh, how can the larger community help in addressing these issues that are playing themselves out on our streets? Pretty much, it used to be just on weekends. And Mike, now what's yeah. happened is they're actually happened in greater frequency that a number of the youth are enjoying the company and the social aspect of getting together with friends that they're actually now starting to come during the week as well. 
which is obviously yeah. problematic for us. Okay, last question for you, Chief Manick. We have had a lot of criticism in Vancouver and elsewhere in the in Metro Vancouver and the Lower Mainland about school boards that have shut down police liaison programs in schools. Is there a police liaison program in Victoria's schools? Uh, that's a really good question. Uh, right now, there's not, but it's not because the program has been shut down. Uh, we've had meetings with school board reps and a number of community reps. The police are at the table. Uh, we're quite confident that here locally, uh, our school boards and our parents and uh, the, the um, parent advisory councils support the police in schools. In fact, I'll leave you with this. A number of yeah. the youth that we engaged with this last weekend, Mike, told us that they actually miss having the school liaison officer, and if they had that connection with the officer, that they feel that they would have stronger role models and mentorship around what youth should and shouldn't be doing on yeah. weekends. All right. Thank you for coming on today. I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me on, Mike. All right. Welcome back. And here we go now with the neighborhood parking drama caught on video in Vancouver. This one's going viral now, and it's really quite extraordinary. We're going to play you the audio here. Now, here's the background on this one. This video was uploaded to TikTok, taken by Jade Roney, a young woman who lives in a Vancouver home residential parking allowed on her street. So she is allowed to park on this street. But when she came home the other day, she found her neighbors blocking the parking spot across the street from her house. They did not want her to park in front of their home. They wanted that parking spot for their vehicle. So they blocked her car, causing a traffic jam and the cops even showed up at the end of it okay let's have a listen to it here now so here is the sound of how this went down have a listen this is my insane neighbor who's standing in front of my car right now not letting me park in front of my house they don't want me to park here i'm gonna park here though they're so angry and miserable i don't know why well i guess look at him they're making me block traffic because they're refusing to move in front of my car. <laughs> the police are on their way. I live right there and I've lived there for seven years. I've lived there for longer than him, but he doesn't want me to park in front of his house because he apparently has five cars that he needs to park here. So they're trying to bully me, which they do to every neighbor. They leave nasty notes on every neighbor's car, swearing at people not to park in front of their house. <laughs> this guy. Okay, she was kind of rolling with it there. Jade Roney there, the parking drama with her neighbors. Let's discuss this now with my guest, Paul Doroshenko, criminal defense lawyer, Acumen Law. Very pleased to welcome him back to the show. Hey, Paul, how you doing? I'm good, Mike. Nice to talk to you. Paul, thank you very much for coming on today. Okay, this is kind of, a, in some ways, it's kind of a humorous video that's been uploaded here. The, you know, classic fight between neighbors over parking. But man, the the cops even showed up at this one, and, and the police tried to tell this woman's neighbors, "Look, she's allowed to park there. Like you can't well, stop her." 
they look pretty threatening, you know. Yeah, it <laughs> did there actually. in front of her car, blocking her car. Uh, you know, she had the right attitude, and she stayed in her car, which was probably the safe thing to do in those circumstances. And I guess the, uh, I think she called the police. I don't know. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, w- what are you going to do in a circumstance like that? At least she's, you know, laughing about it and, and not uh, and not bent out of shape. Um, but, yeah, I mean, <laughs> these things happen. The confrontations between neighbors over parking spots on a city street where everyone's entitled to park. Yeah, so let's talk about the rules on this now. So if you have residential parking is allowed on a side street, that doesn't mean you have to park your vehicle precisely in front of your house, right? Like, does that mean you can park anywhere on the street if you live on that street? When there's no signage, nothing else regulating the parking there, you can park uh, anywhere on the street, and you don't have to park in front of your house. Right, right. Uh, the, uh, the city has some residual discretion to uh, deal with people who basically abandon their cars or leave it there in front of your house for uh, an extended period of time. Uh, they won't exercise that discretion unless it is a circumstance where it's been there for an extended period of time. Uh, but you know, there is no there is no property. You have no property in the in, uh, or, or, or ownership over a parking spot on your street. Like it, it's available for anybody to park there. If you live on the street. Uh, well, if you live on the street, but even if you're visiting, right? Okay. Uh, but, and, you know, there's lots of spots where it's residents only, for residents of this block only, and there, right. you know, in those circumstances, it is regulated. And those are usually cases where uh, it's a street that people would otherwise like to park on uh, and go somewhere else and leave their vehicle, you know, park there and walk to work or something like that. Uh, you know, the city is pretty reasonable when they go around and they, and they put in these parking restrictions. But in a circumstance where it's a residential street with no parking restrictions, you can pull up there and park. I mean, she was yeah. completely within her right. Right. To and park the police. In this spot. Right. And the police officer who did show up here uh, did explain that to her neighbor, saying, look, look, she lives across the street from you. She is allowed to park here. You should go take this up with City Hall if you want to change the rules. She's, you know, back off. Let her park her car. Well, they're arguing with the police officer, too. I mean, yeah. when a police officer shows up, and, and what are they doing? They're impeding this person, uh, you know, at the roadside there. Uh, and, and they're arguing with the police officer when he's explaining it to them very clearly. But, you right. know, people get bent out of shape uh, over parking. People are, you know, I, this happened to me once. I, I actually stopped. I just bought a, a new car. Uh, my phone rang. I pulled over to return the call. Um, somebody pulled up. <laughs> Went to park in front of me, backed into my brand new car. Whoa. I got out and said, what, what, what's going on? He started screaming at me that I was in his parking spot in front of his house. And it was an unregulated parking spot. I thought, you know what? I don't see any damage to my car. I'm just getting out of here. I don't want to be assaulted. You know, people, people again, they, 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 they feel that they have some, some property interest in their parking yeah. spot. Right. What about, like, is there any kind of accepted etiquette around using a parking spot okay let's say on your street residential parking is allowed so that means i can park down the street in front of my neighbor's house or whatever but what if someone parks in front of your house and then they leave the vehicle there for like for days or weeks on end i mean you can is call it, the you, city you can call yeah. the city uh, yeah. and the city will come and ticket it and and you can have it towed and uh, yeah. it's happened you know i i had the flu and i parked uh, my truck in front of somebody else's house uh, you know near my house but a, a few doors down and i left it there for a week and i got a ticket uh, i was mm. at home with my mm. kid who was sick and i was sick 
You know, I I I paid the ticket. That was it. Uh, I I technically had committed the parking violation, so you know you accept it. If if you abandon your vehicle or you leave it there for a long period of time, or you appear to be a you know sort of abusive about it in the sense that you're just leaving your vehicle in front of somebody else's house all the time, uh, then yeah, the city can come out. Uh, but the city's not likely to do it unless they see that there is a uh, you know a problem that you're right. sort of abusing your your uh, freedom to park. <laughs> What about okay? Let's let's talk about a parking dispute between neighbors. You know the good neighbor policy going wrong here, and you're fighting over a parking spot. Who's allowed to park where? I mean, this young woman, like you said, she didn't get out of her vehicle. She's filming the whole thing on her phone. Uh, how would you? Do you think she handled it well? Like you know, like you said, maybe don't get out and get into a confrontation with the other person or call the well, cops. I mean, it kind of sounds like a little bit of a waste of police resources to call the police out. It is unfortunate, but, uh, you know, she was within her right to call the police. Uh, is it a waste of police resources? Yeah. Do the police know that this takes place? Yeah. You know, we live in a civil society, and sometimes the police have to come. Uh, you know, I, in her circumstance there, I think she probably felt threatened, uh, and yeah. it was, uh, you know, on the verge of uh, of uh, getting to the point where it might have been the criminal offense of uttering a threat. I mean, no charge is going to be laid here, and these things just happen. Uh, okay. But it was uh, not unreasonable for her to call the police in these circumstances. And in fact, you know, when she is feeling unsafe in that yeah. situation, uh, a woman in her car with a, uh, you know, a, a, a strong-looking guy there in front of her blocking her Locking way, her car, you know, yeah. Call the police. That, you yeah. know, we, we have them. That's why they're there. Right. Uh, certainly better than uh, subjecting yourself or putting yourself in a position where you feel even more threatened. Right, and she certainly was not going to back down. She said, look, I live across the street. I know I'm allowed to park here. I'm not going to be bullied here. I'm parking here. That's it. Well, so it she... sounded like there had been some background, and this was yes. her opportunity to actually collect that evidence and record that evidence, and again, in the end, go public with that evidence. And one wonders sometimes when everything's being recorded by, you know, you're always at the risk of being recorded by your neighbors, uh, that people don't behave a little bit better uh, than this. <laughs> but uh, yeah. the, the, the discouragement factor, the disincentive that arises uh, from the threat of being videoed should have been enough to uh, right. have made these people think differently. But, it's, you know, everybody's different. All right, welcome back as we continue talking about neighborhood parking disputes with my guest, Paul Doroshenko. Lots of calls. Richard in Vancouver. Hi, Richard. Go ahead. Good morning, and I, I think your guest, Paul, is being a little bit disingenuous with uh, the reality, especially here in Vancouver, about parking in residential neighborhoods. He's technically right. Nobody owns the parking in front of your house, but... There is a city bylaw that says between the hours of the 8 and 6 p.m. that nobody is allowed to park in front of your residence for more than three hours during that period. But, you know, the bigger question becomes with the city forcing densification of neighborhoods with laneway houses and secondary and threeplexes and all this, that everybody, you know, you don't have yeah. off-street parking anymore, so people are parking in front of their neighbor's place and yeah. yeah for long periods of time and it's you know most neighbors and in my neighborhood it's very respectful people do respect uh the you know the required parking in front of your house and somebody will come and visit for an hour or two and you just kind of live with that but as the city puts more and more pressure on densifying neighborhoods forced densification on neighborhoods this problem is going to become even bigger and bigger i think remember the mayor's great parking tax proposal yes. Yes. yeah you know this is like a big game by the city 
to basically densify neighborhoods and create disputes. They're not resolving them. They're creating Okay, Richard, thank you for the call. Tim, uh, Paul Doroshenko, your thoughts? Well, I don't think I'm being disingenuous, but the uh, I would say that this is going to be a problem. There's no doubt yeah. about it, and it's going to be a bigger problem as it uh, as we see this densification. You know, uh, somebody moved into a, a neighboring house where a single guy lived before, and a couple moved in, and they have two cars. And everybody yeah. on the street is going, oh, one more car on our street. You know, we, we this is a problem, and uh, we have a shortage of parking, and the city's trying to discourage people from driving by making it uh, more expensive, and they're not providing places for people to park their cars. And then you hear yeah. of condominiums that are being built where uh, the person gets their condo uh, on the day that they, uh, that they uh, take possession of it. They go downstairs and discover that their parking spot could only fit a smart car. You know, uh, parking is an issue. Cars are not going away. Uh, you know, gasoline cars may be going away, but cars are not going away. Uh, they are a, a feature of our society and our economy, uh, and one needs a place to park. It's a problem. Right. Let's go to Rob on the line in Chilliwack. Hi, Rob. Go ahead. Hey, hi, good morning, Mike. Hi. Just a quick story. Uh, years years ago, uh, when I, I, I live in Chilliwack now, but when I, my wife and I, our second house, we had bought in Abbotsford. Now, I, I'm taking blame for it in the sense that I should have done more due diligence and showed up maybe about, you know, in between 4 and 6 o'clock and saw what was going on. Having said that, I realized right away I'm in trouble with parking here. And at my house, I lasted barely a year there. I put up for sale because I couldn't take it. Because what the straw that broke the camel's back is the saying is that I came home one day, we came home, I could not get in my own driveway, which was empty. Oh. But there were cars parked in front of my driveway. I literally had to go across bark mulch to get in my own driveway. And I thought, this is crazy. But, and, and, oh. Okay, okay, Rob, th- thank you for sharing that story. I-, I think that's reflective of some of the problems that we could continue to see escalate, like Paul was describing. Let's go to another call, Carolyn and Delta. Hi, Carolyn, go ahead. Oh, hi there. Yeah, hi. we uh, have had issues since the city has taken away a bunch of our parking because they added bike lanes and they reconfigured a bunch of our <laughs> our parking areas. Um, but I'm just curious as to the ruling or bylaws as far as providing parking for um, somebody that's living in a suite. We have a new neighbor that has built a brand new house and has two suites in the basement. Um, my understanding is that they need to provide parking for those people. Would that be... The landlord Thank owns three vehicles, and they've got an additional four vehicles now. Okay. <laughs> Thank, Thank you for that, Carolyn. I can certainly see a problem on the horizon there, for sure. So, Paul, like this would vary by municipality, I imagine. Oh rules. yeah, every every city's got its different rules, and and uh, you know they're they're enforced in different ways, and and uh, sort of a, a a different level of I suppose severity. Uh, the uh, the the driveway issue, uh, you know, the, in Vancouver, you can probably go down most streets and see somebody who's violating some parking rule, and a lot of the times it's going to be overlooked. Uh, the driveway issue, it's supposed to be one point five meters that you're supposed to be from the edge of the driveway. Well, you know, Whoa. in order to park in front of my house. I I park 20 centimeters in front of my own driveway, and so sure. does everybody else, and we all just live with that, and we do that in order to be able to fit the cars on the street. Um, but it's, uh, you know, the city, and if you drive around Kits, there's people parked, you know, so close to the intersection, you know, they're, they're, they're violating the rules. Yeah. However, 
I think the city parking enforcement drive around and they recognize, look, we have a problem. Uh, we've got to squeeze a lot of cars on the street. There's a almost perpetual shortage of parking spaces uh, in the neighborhood for a variety of reasons, and it's only going to get worse. And we will see more friction like this. There's no doubt yep. about it. I think so, too. Ryan calling from Port Alberni. Hi, Ryan. Go ahead. Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, just keep it short. Uh, First-time caller, um, and this cool. is something that's really kicking me in the beans, and that's why I called in. So basically, my neighbor right now, um, I've been in my house for seven years, and my neighbor seems to have an imaginary line on the road between our two properties, and my neighbor doesn't like where I park my truck in front of my property. Uh, We do not have any kind of signage in in front of our properties. It's basically open season. We all live in the neighborhood. So basically, what my neighbor's doing is they're parking both of their vehicles, depending on who's driving, um, so close to the back of my bumper that I can't even open my tailgate or (laughs) even change the tag on my license plate. Um, And I think they're trying to, um, you know, bully me into moving my truck up for them. And I've actually been in touch with the RCMP, and I've got video and pictures and um, I've put the RCMP okay. off from dealing with this issue, and now they're. I said, you know what? I've had enough. Let's deal with it. And one last thing, I just spent eight thousand dollars on a new driveway because of it. Oh man, Ryan, thank you for that. In twenty seconds, Paul, you got any advice for him? Common occurrence, unfortunately. Uh, and uh, you're wondering if you're when you're pulling your vehicle in and you're trying to squeeze it in, whether or not the person's going to think that it's bullying. Um, yeah, I mean, I would talk okay. to the city. Obviously, uh, you might be able to get some signage there, of some sort. Thank you, Paul. Yep. All right. Welcome back to the show. Let's talk about the federal government's record high deficits and accumulated debt. The debt in Canada has now soared over a trillion dollars for the first time. The annual operating deficits are massive. The government needs money. Where are they going to get all that revenue? Well, how about tax the rich? Yes, a wealth tax being considered by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Documents released under the Freedom of Information Act show Trudeau's office asked for an analysis on a wealth tax. What an analysis it was, too. $60 billion it would rake in. Man, that has got to be tempting for Trudeau, don't you think? Let's discuss now with my guest, Chris Sims. Canadian Taxpayers Federation, and they obtained these documents under FOI. Chris, thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having us. Okay, this congratulations on getting this information. This is very interesting documents that you've obtained. I know a lot of it's censored, though, right? What did you find out in there? Yeah, heavily redacted, and as far as we can tell from what we can read, uh, is that the Prime Minister requested briefings about the potential of a wealth tax, exactly to the tune of the billions of dollars you were just mentioning off the top. Now, as far as the motivations for that, you know, does he want this to pay for the pharmacare program or the dental program or something that they're thinking about? We don't know. Uh, But I can say from my own experience, when it gets to the point of the PMO requesting briefings, Uh, that's when they're starting to be pretty serious about considering things. Right. Now, of course, just because you ask for a briefing doesn't mean you're actually going to to do it right but nope. this is a high level document i mean this is going this is going right to the PM, the prime minister's office is that right that's right and all of his yeah. staff now of course wow. it's standard for staff uh to be able to allow for plausible deniability uh so that what that means is uh your boss needs to only know what they need to know 
And so we can't say for sure uh, that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has personally gotten this briefing or read the documents exactly, uh, but it's the office itself that had requested the briefing, as far as we can tell. And again, heavy redaction here. So it's hard right. to tease out motivation. But what we think is alarming here is that they've asked for this briefing. They're what we would consider then at least seriously considering it. Uh, that doesn't mean they're going to do it. Our concern here is that it sounds like a quick fix. I mean, who doesn't want to soak the rich guy and make Mr. Moneybags pay for everything? It sounds great, <laughs> like make somebody yeah. else pay for it. But it doesn't work. In, in in France, for example, they tried putting through a wealth tax. And the funny thing about ultra-wealthy people, they're mobile. They'll just pick up and leave. Now, if they just picked up and left and they vacated a mansion, that could be the end of it. But wealthy people tend to invest their money. They're typically business owners. They're entrepreneurs. So what they take with them is a lot of that capital, a lot of those jobs, a lot of that entrepreneurialism. And then people wind up, one, losing those jobs. And two, because they're gone, our own debt load and tax burden goes up. Like us worker bees have to pay more because Mr. Rich Guy left. Okay, well, how would a wealth tax actually work? Like, are they talking about a tax on income or is it on accumulated equity and wealth that someone has built up in their life or both? You nailed it. This is exactly it. And another reason why we're concerned. So one, are we just talking about, you know, what Mr. Moneybags' salary, his pay stubs show? Okay. Uh, Are we talking about their land holdings? Maybe. What about farmers? who own a lot of equipment, right? And a lot of Mm. land. That's valued as wealth in many contexts. Would they be exempt for how long? When will they move the goalposts? Like, this is the thing. It's not not clear in the documents that you've obtained. That's part of the stuff that's been blacked out or censored. As far as we can guess, yes. But yeah, we'll, we'll yeah. keep digging on it for sure. My, my colleague, the Ontario director, Jay Goldberg, he put in these FOIs, and he was, we were really glad to at least get this back, to at least yes. show that they're talking about it. Yeah, it certainly shows that they're, they're looking at a wealth tax, they're, they're considering it. Yeah. Like, what is the definition of wealthy? Like, what, how does the government define that? Like, what is wealthy? Great question. And so the NDP, back when they were first promoting this, the federal NDP, when they were first promoting this, I think they had first floated it at something like, you know, super big. It was like $40 million from what I recall. And then they halved it. From what I recall also, I think they halved it down to $20 million. And so again, that sounds like a crazy amount of money to normal people. But if you start getting into people who hold a lot of land, who have a lot of equipment, who have a lot of businesses, yada, 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 that paper wealth can add up quickly. And again, even if it is just, you know, the guy from the Little Orphan Annie who's just swimming in money, if he leaves, those jobs go with him. And then we wind up, all of us wound up, wind up paying more of the tax burden that he was already paying. And they already pay a huge chunk of taxes out of, out of their incomes. Okay. We're continuing to see more indications that something like this is on the table and being looked at quite seriously. We've got these new documents that you've obtained. Mm-hmm. There was also a report last year from the Parliamentary Budget Office that estimated some of the, the revenue that could be generated from a wealth tax, correct? Correct. And it was, again, in the billions of dollars. And again, what we're saying is, 
I, we would understand if this had never been tried before, because it's so tempting and it seems like a quick fix to a spending addiction that this federal government clearly has, you know, make those guys pay for it. But other countries have tried it and failed miserably. And we're not talking, you know, some, you know, random hyper tiny country that only gets its wealth from one area, like some some oil kingdom. No, we're talking about France. A complicated, a complicated democracy and an economy with all sorts of industries, all that stuff. They tried it, and it didn't work, and right. they had to scrap it. Um, in fact, um, the the president there said it wound up turning France into Cuba without the sunshine. Okay, well, I don't know. Maybe a lot of people listening though might be say might be thinking to themselves, "Go ahead and tax these rich people. We got to get the money from somewhere." And the pressure seems to be growing on government to do it. So let me play a clip here for you, Chris. Sure. Get your thoughts. So this is. Alex Hemingway, Canadian Center for Policy Alternatives, and they support a wealth tax big time. They've been campaigning for it. He was on an earlier edition of the show here, and here's what Alex Hemingway had to say to me about a wealth tax, and I'll get your thoughts. You know, we know that we're facing very big challenges as a society, climate action, a housing crisis, the unaffordable childcare, poverty. These are areas that are not going to resolve uh, themselves of their own accord. We do need to invest together through our shared institutions to address them, and we need to okay. actually look at taxing the rich uh, uh, to do that, which is not something that's happening right now at an adequate level. Right. Tax the rich because he says the existing taxes on the wealthy in Canada are not adequate. The taxes are too low on the super rich in Canada, and we've got a lot of spending pressures here. We need money. Chris, what do you Maybe say to him? Maybe we should focus on the spending. Okay, so for example, right now, uh, the Trudeau government's fiscal discipline is akin to a frat party. You know, the the basement's flooded, things are on fire, but let's buy another big screen TV. Um, That's the level of their fiscal prudence. What we're saying is that they don't have a revenue problem, they have a spending problem. At the current spending rate, even if you put through a wealth tax, I think they'd be burned through it in something like 10 days. 10 days. What else are we going to do for the other 350 days a year after we finished taxing the rich? Again, I understand the sentiment. Folks understand the sentiment. What he just explained there, every normal person would be like, yeah, stick that guy. Number one, that guy can pick up and leave. Number two, that guy's already paying a lot of taxes as it is. And number three, at the current... You don't don't think... You you disagree with his argument that the taxes on the super wealthy in Canada are too, too low. They already pay a quite a, quite a large percentage of, of the freight here. And again, if they decide to not like it anymore, they, they can go yeah. and take their wealth with them. This is a concern. And again, if they're worried about paying for stuff, stop spending money on so hey. much stuff. I think the okay. latest one we saw, did you see that from the Trans Mountain Pipeline? They're spending over $20 billion on it. That could Ooh. have been a private company paying for that. But it's taxpayers' money instead. Why? Because the feds fumbled the ball for five straight years. We, we don't need okay. to be spending on corporate welfare. You know, quit blowing money. We won't need to do this. All right, welcome back. Talking about a wealth tax in Canada. The Trudeau government looking at one according to a leaked ad- or documents disclosed under Freedom of Information obtained by the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Chris Sims is my guest. Lots of calls on this. Kay in Vancouver. Hi, Kay. Go ahead. Good morning, Mike. Hello, Chris. Hi. As usual, as usual, you bring common sense to a conversation. I appreciate that. Now, I don't consider myself a wealthy person. However, I work for one. And she is a proprietor of her own business. And several times over the years, she's actually had to put her own personal money into the business to sustain it. 
And your point, Chris, about, you know, we're going to scare these people away and they're going to take the jobs with them. And she became, my, my boss became especially uh, frustrated when the MSP was transferred from the individual to the employer. Mm-hmm. That was a big hit. And while some wealthy people have obtained their wealth in a shady manner, I think the majority of them have just worked really hard for it, and they're honest. But the idea of them being set up and finally saying enough of the tax, they will move on. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. Thank you for that call. Chris, I'm sure you would agree with her. Go ahead. They do, and they have the liquidity and the means to do so. As average people don't. Uh, they can pick up and go. And I just wanted to point out, it's even a lower threshold than I'd initially thought. According to the documents, the briefing that they received was 3% on wealth over $10 million and 5% on wealth over $20 million. Again, you start to considering mm. things like land, assets, equipment, like where are they going to draw the line here? You could start nailing quite a few people here. Is it is it, though realistic to say that if you hike taxes on rich people they're going to say well i'm out of here i'm i'm leaving canada i mean we already have high taxes right especially at the highest and and they're not leaving now uh some of them have others are sticking around and again we point back to other countries that have tried it france did exactly that and they exactly left and we think it's a pretty good comparison between two countries let's go to doug on the line in surrey hi doug go ahead Hi, Mike and Chris. I've had to decide, now that I'm retired eight years of living on CPP, I've had to decide between uh, what my needs and what my wants are and made some tough decisions. Unfortunately, that doesn't make me the paragon of virtue, but Mm. at the same time, you look at the political situation with uh, Mr. Trudeau's little son, a little rich boy, running the country with first rich friends. What have we got as an alternative? The Conservatives are fighting and scrapping like butcher's dogs. And after 10 years of Harper, really, what do we have for an alternative? We have to start making some tough decisions. What can we live without? What do we want? Thank you for the call. Chris, your thoughts? Great point. And to that, I would say it's really important to get to know your MP and your MLA. Uh, I know that it's time-consuming, but direct democracy and keeping tabs on this is essential, because otherwise, he's right. We won't have good alternatives. Back to your calls. Let's go to Dev on the line in Vancouver. Hi, Dev. Hi. Um, You know, at what point does this madness stop? Um, So we're going to tax, tax, tax. You know, Jagmeet Singh, who wears $3,000 Rolex watches, $1,000 suits, you know, who's also wealthy. At what point does it stop? Like, so... You you just questioned Michael. Why haven't the wealthy left? Did you see that recent study that came out about how capital investment is going down? When mm-hmm. capital investment goes down in a country, that's really bad. That means people are not reinvesting in their businesses, Mike. That means yeah. that the advertisers who are on your show are not going to pay higher rates. In fact, they're going to pull out because hey, why? They can take their money somewhere else. They'll get a better okay. return. Thanks for, the, thanks for the call, Chris. Your thoughts? And again, this is the hidden drain that people don't consider when they say things like, well, just tax, tax the rich, tax the wealthy. We have to look at the ramifications and the consequences. Squeeze in another call. Harmon in Surrey. Hi, Harmon. Go ahead. Hi. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Chris, for having me on. I just sure. want to touch on what the caller said, you know, if businesses that have equipment and everything else, it adds up quick. 
you look at cost of machinery right now, I'm in the construction industry and trucking, it's gone up considerably. Just to get a, for example, like dump truck, a truck and transfers, pushing over half a million dollars. Yeah. A lot of these business owners keep reinvesting their money into the company. They want to have newer equipment to make it's hard finding drivers. Drivers are being picky right now. They want to go to the best place, so they reinvest in their business, so they keep getting those workers. And a lot of the owner-operators now, it's getting hard for them to break into the industry with the high cost of just getting in. Then you got to wait 60, 90-day terms just to get paid. There's a lot of okay. things that are not considered in this. And thank you, Chris, for standing up for a lot of mid to even small-sized businesses. Because this will okay. affect them tremendously. Thank you, Harmon, for the call. Chris, we just have a minute left. I mean, presumably, if the government did bring in a, a wealth tax like this, they would have some reasonable rules to protect, you know, the, the assets of a small business. But your thoughts? You have 30 seconds here. They could be reasonable for a period of time, but as we've seen uh, with other <laughs> forms of taxation, it quickly slips. Quickly, between Hope and Chilliwack, I think I counted 12 of those massive excavators working on the, on the Trans Mountain. Those are each like $700,000. That's one company. So Chris, we thank really you. got to think this through before we do something like this.